Hey there, I'm Joey Dean, lead pastor of South Lakes Church in Oklahoma City. At South Lakes Church, we exist to be radically devoted to God, relentlessly committed to true community, and remarkably passionate for the lost. We hope your faith is strengthened and you grow closer to Jesus as you listen this morning. Now let's jump into this week's message. Well, good morning. I missed you guys last week. I was here Sunday morning and no one else was. It's a joke. We weren't here Sunday morning. I wasn't even here Sunday morning. Lord. So, a couple of things I want us to touch on before we dive into the Word this morning. First of all, isn't God good? Because... If things had played out just a little bit differently, we could have been out of our building for a very, very long time. So, everyone look up there at the crater. Now that you've seen it, don't look at it again. Just play like it's not there. If you've ever watched Seinfeld and you've seen the goiter episode, just, it's like, what? It's like a football on his neck. It's like, just, just don't look at it, okay? I'm not saying you're going to turn into a pillar of salt, but... I'm not going to limit God and what he can do. I do want to publicly thank Rico and Marcus for helping put the stage back together because up until Thursday night, our stage was not set up. And if you get the chance, look at how short our stage is and not everybody can fit under there. So Rico came up with a contraption with a bunch of yarn and a really long tape measure. And we got all the cables under the stage. It only took like an hour because, well, that's ingenuity. So I do want to thank you guys for your willingness to serve. And for those who came here when there was ankle-deep water. And for Jordan Lighty for being the one who's not afraid of heights and working on our projectors yesterday so that we can have stuff on our screen. So I'm very proud of our church and how we came together. And if it happens again... Well, we'll we'll deal with it when it happens again. But it's not going to happen again, right? Everyone look at me and nod your head. It's not going to happen again, right? Hopefully, fingers crossed. And if it does, it's okay because God is still God, right? I also want to say something really fun. So if you've been following along in our walk through the Bible plan, we are now in the book of Deuteronomy. You know what that means? It means we're not in Leviticus or Exodus anymore. Can I get an amen? Amen. I love the Holy Word of God, but sometimes it's hard. And sometimes I'm like, well, like, I know I'm in my 20s. I don't think I'm old enough to read some of this content that's in here. And then there's other times where it's like, I don't think I'm smart enough to comprehend the content that's in here. And then there's some days where it's like, I don't want to read the content that's in here. But as we see today, it's good for us to be in the Word. So I do want to say this. If you are a note taker. Let's take notes. If you're not a note taker, take notes because your memory is not as good as you think it is. Perfect example. My wife and I, we celebrated our one year anniversary last week. And for the last year, she has reminded me that when the dishwasher is empty and I go to put dirty dishes in, that I'm supposed to put them in the back of the dishwasher. But the front's right there and it's open 
and it's convenient. And I love her, and I love when she reminds me, hey, could you just move them to the back? It's like that much more work. I'm like, yes, I will do that. Then we eat our next meal, and can I tell you where I place my dishes? In the front. And she reminds me, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do it next time. Can I tell you what I'm probably going to do today? I'm probably going to put, <laughs> I'm going to do everything in my power, Lord willing, to put them in the back. She does. And I love my wife. I would be a mess without her. The bachelor life is not all it's cracked up to be. I'll say that. But all that to say that sometimes it's hard to do the things that we know we need to do. And sometimes it's hard to build habits. And sometimes it's hard to remember even the simplest things. So all that to say, please take notes. You can either write them on the back of the bulletin or if you have our app, there's a fill in notes section there. So use one of those ways. Because if you're like me, the way my brain works is like, okay, as soon as we're done with service, like my brain shuts off. I won't remember a thing that was said or that we did up here unless I wrote it down. So now that we're in the book of Deuteronomy, as we saw our wonderful motions today, Deuteronomy, it actually stands for second law. That's your first blank this morning. Because Deuteronomy is a funny word. Growing up, when we had to memorize the books of the Bible at the church I grew up at, I always thought it was do not run on me. And that's how I remember it. But the bad thing about coming up with clever ways to remember stuff is sometimes you accidentally say that. So I'm like, all right, everyone turn to do not run on me chapter five this morning. Everyone's like, I don't think he's okay. Deuteronomy stands for second law or more accurately copy of law. And the reason this is said is because on Mount Sinai, as we're going to read later today, when the law was brought to Moses and it was given to the people of Israel, that's when we first encounter it. Lots of years later, here we are. The Israelites have wrapped up their 40 years in the desert almost. Moses is reaching the end of his life. And he realizes a lot of life can happen in 40 years. Like, as disgusting as what I'm about to say is, like, the 80s a little over 40 years ago. And in my mind, I'm like, no, that was like 10 years ago. Just wait until the 90s were 40 years ago. We're, we're, we're not going to go any farther than that, okay? Just for everybody's comfort and safety. But a lot of life can happen over 40 years. And so Moses knew that it was important to re-communicate this law. And so hear me, whenever we interpret Deuteronomy as second law, it doesn't mean, hey, this is a brand new one. It says, hey, this is a copy of it. This is bringing it back to the forefront yet again. A little more context on the book of Deuteronomy. So this is Moses presenting the laws of the Lord to the people of Israel again. And Moses emphasizes the importance of God's law, which was given to him at Mount Sinai. And the bulk of Deuteronomy recites the law of God and urges Israel to keep it. Now, here's the beautiful thing about the law. We're going to dive a little deeper here in just a second into chapter 5. But the law is wide-ranging, okay? It's incorporating all areas of life. So let's break that down. Because life is like a very big word. It's a macro word, right? Because you can meet a lot of things when you say life. Like, I love my life. Well, does that include the bad stuff? 
Or is that just the good stuff? Life is a very big word. But when it comes in regards to the law, incorporating all areas of life, this includes things like economics and family, friendship relationships, sexual relationships, religious observance, leadership, justice, guidance, food, property, and even warfare. So that's a lot of life. There's a lot of wide range in there. And we'll read here in a little bit in chapter 6, the details of all these areas under the law should point to the greatest commandment, to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Would you pray with me real quick? And then we're going to jump into the word. Father God, we thank you for the law. God, the law that was communicated to Moses. God, the law that would be communicated to us through your son, Jesus. And God, this morning, as we try and comprehend and unpack the stepping stones that you've set up for us, Father, would we leave this morning not discouraged because we feel like we have to follow a bunch of rules, but God, to see the glory and the goodness of your sovereignty and your protection over us this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And all God's people said, amen. So in chapters 5 through 11 in Deuteronomy, we see the basic elements of Israel's relationship with the Lord. And just from a nutshell, just from what we've read so far, the relationship of Israel and the Lord is kind of rocky, right? The Lord comes through for them. He comes in clutch. He helps them. And what does Israel do? They forget really fast, right? What about when the Lord brought them out of Egypt, right? They were super happy. And what happened like seconds after Egypt, they're like, oh no, like we're going to die now because we left Egypt. We need to go back. And it's like, yeah, like we haven't even left the parking lot yet. What's going on? Skip a little further. We see the Lord provide for them in the desert. You know, quail and manna. We like to think of it as Chick-fil-A in modern terms, right? Beautiful provision from the Lord. And the Lord gives them what they need. And they take it, and their needs are met, and then they start to hoard it, and what happens? It gets really gross really, really fast, and the Lord's like, yo, I just provided for you. Do you not think I'll take care of you? And they're like, yeah, God, I know you'll, you'll fill in the gaps, you'll take care of me, but just in case, and it's like, well, the just in case is the issue. It's like, yeah, uh, God, I know you just provided for me. I know you're the provider. But just in case you're not the provider, tomorrow I want to be prepared. And so their relationship, as we see through Deuteronomy, is very, very rocky. And what's important to know about Deuteronomy is it is the final charges and commands of Moses, a.k.a. his final sermons, because Moses is reaching the end of his life. And he wants to remind Israel the Israelites, of God's faithfulness to them. And he uses specific instances of their history to remind them, both good and bad. Permission to be vulnerable with you this morning. This is what I need in my life. It's very easy for surface level to be like, oh yeah, God's good, like God's faithful. But to remember specific instances, good and bad in my life. So some of you may know my testimony, some of you don't. If you don't know, find me after service. I'd love to share it with you. But part of it is I've wrestled with depression a lot of my life. And there's been some really, really dark days. I don't, what I'm about to say, I don't say it to 
like glorified or anything, but just to show what the Lord brought me out of. Because there were literal days where I was like, Lord, like, do not let me wake up tomorrow. Like, things would be perfect if they just stop here. And so it's important for me to remember those moments, not to remember the weightiness of where I was, but to remember where the Lord brought me from. And as a broke college kid a couple of years ago when I'm like, God, okay, you say you want me to be in ministry, but bank account does not reflect my tuition and it does not reflect the wages in which I'm earning. God, I don't, I don't think you know how this works. There's a lot of difference in the amount of zeros here. And remembering how the Lord filled in gaps supernaturally to take care of me. To even being a knucklehead who constantly, despite the faithfulness of God, chose to pursue sin because temporarily it was more satisfying than I thought the Lord was. And remembering how good God still was to me. And that even in the midst of my darkest days and my most broken, wicked days, remembering the faithfulness of God. So with all that said, this is what Moses is trying to communicate. Hey, remember, Israel, what God has done. Remember the good and bad things that the Lord has brought us through and the Lord has blessed us with. That even in moments where we turned our backs on him, that we were desperately choosing lesser things, that he still loved us. So if you're taking notes, if you look on your fill-in-the-blanks, I want to give you some summaries of the three chapters we're talking about, because it's really hard to cover three chapters of the Bible in the two hours I have allotted to preach. Yeah, you think I'm kidding. We, we don't have anything else scheduled. We just got our building back. We're going to make up the last couple of weeks. I'm kidding. But to summarize chapter 5, 6, and 7, I want to give you these three points. Chapter 5, the Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments show us and remind us of protection and sanctification. What is sanctification? It's a really fancy word for becoming more like God. And we're going to get to walk through that here in just a moment, the beauty of the Ten Commandments and how it showcases the Lord's protection and our sanctification. A summary of chapter 6, total commitment to God, a.k.a. less of us and more of Him. More of him and less of us. Which leads us to a summary of chapter 7. Separation from lesser gods. Because as the old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus says, that the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, a.k.a. everything else fades away compared to him. Now, if you'll open your Bible, whether you have a physical copy or you're using the Bible app, or if you just want to read on the screen, if you will turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to kind of skip around the Ten Commandments. And here's what is important. Anytime truth and scripture is communicated from the stage, I highly, highly encourage you to go and read it for yourself. Because there's a difference between someone reading it to you and then your own personal experience reading that. Specifically for this morning, with the Ten Commandments, there's parts where it expands upon certain commandments. And for the sake of time, we're going to kind of skip over those. 
So I would encourage you to go back and read it as we expand upon those thoughts this morning. But read with me Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn from them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb, a.k.a. Mount Sinai. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So real quick, before we jump into these Ten Commandments, Here's another point that we see, that our obedience is met by his faithfulness, as we're about to read this with the Ten Commandments. That it's not just, hey, I'm God, do these things, good luck. But it's structured and it's there for a reason and for a purpose. And whenever we step out in faith, when we act out in obedience, the Lord meets us right where we are at. I hate to break it to you, it's not as easy as we would like it to be. I can't just show up at church and call it good and be like, cool. I went to Bible school when I was eight. See you in heaven. It's not that simple and it's not that easy. But don't be discouraged by that because it's like, oh man, this means I get to do nothing but memorize rules for the rest of my life. No. Because the Son of God came that we would have life And Scripture tells us, have life abundantly. So let's read, starting in verse 7. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is the water under the earth. We're going to jump ahead to verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, For the Lord will hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now I want to pause right here. Don't respond out loud, but just think, what do you think it means to take the Lord's name in vain? For me, my understanding growing up, and really until just a couple of years ago, it just means I can't say OMG or things similar to that because that's taking the Lord's name in vain, right? I had a Sunday school teacher one time who was like, you better not even say gosh. I'm like, well, then what am I supposed to say? Like, you're removing half the words from my vocabulary. And it's like, I can't, like, what about when Scripture, you know, whenever King David cries out, oh, my God, like, am I, can I say it in that context? Like, we got to clear this thing up. Taking the Lord's name in vain is so much more than just using an expression like that. It goes to also using his name to say a a false commitment or a false swearing or a false promise. For instance, you know, I swear I'm going to do this to you or like, hey, I swear one day I'm going to get out of this town or fill in the blank, whatever it is. Because you're trying to attach that and piggyback that off of Christ. 
Let's take it a step further. It also prohibits attaching the wrong character, attribute, or motive to God's character. Here's what I mean by that. If we are using our beliefs in God to justify our political stance because we disagree with someone else, to justify our medical stance or our social stance on whatever it is because everyone has an opinion and we're going to leave it at that. That's the exact same as taking the Lord's name in vain. If you are using our God to justify your disapproval of other things. It's one thing if it's scriptural truth. It's another thing if, like, well, I'm never voting for that person, and here's why. Or maybe you're just really bitter, and you use your righteousness in the Father to justify your reactions to other people and your disapproval of others. Because if, if we're going to be honest, if we're going to be biblical, if we're going to look at the attributes and the qualities of a follower of Christ, as Galatians tells us, the higher standard we're called to live to. Brothers and sisters, it's heartbreaking to be on social media. Because I don't see anyone arguing more than believers. And rarely do I see it be of anything of value. All I see is believers cutting each other down left and right because of personal preference, not because of scriptural truth. So I encourage you, when, when we lash out, and especially whenever we use the authority that's been given to us in Christ, are we doing it for actual scriptural truth and obedience out of Jesus, or are we doing it because we're cranky and we're upset because we don't like what somebody said? or we don't like what things are going in our life. Because, spoiler alert, Scripture also tells us that this world is not our home, that we are aliens of it. That doesn't mean like you got little antennas on your head or anything like that. But what it means is they're going. if you stand up for obedience in Christ, if you stand up for the things of God, then there's going to be a clear, distinctive clash against the things of this world, where your hope and your eternity lies. Follow with me as we continue to read verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Now we're going to jump to verse 16. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 17, you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery and you shall not steal and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now let's talk about those real quick. For a lot of us, depending on our spiritual maturity, it's easy to be like, okay, as long as I don't break the Ten Commandments or as long as I don't commit one of the seven deadly sins, like, I'm probably good. This isn't a legalism thing to where it's like, okay, like as long as these 10 things are good, like you're good. But no, it is a guideline. This is why it's important for us to read scripture as a whole. 
Because if this is the only thing we base God's character off of, then it's like, okay, those are 10 things not to do. I'm not going to do those. I'm good. But if we compare it to the teachings of other prophets, if we compare it to the teaching of Jesus himself in the New Testament, we can connect the dots of the things God is for and the things he is against. So when we find ourselves in a moment of spiritual discernment, whether we're trying to figure out, well, how does this match up with what I believe and how I feel? It's really, really simple. Does it match up with the things God is for? Or the things that God is against? Does it match up with obedience to Christ? Or does it match up to personal preference? Does it match up to obedience to Christ? Or does it match up to disobedience and sin and personal opinion? Jesus said it himself. You may not commit murder physically, but if you hate in your heart for one another, it's the exact same thing. You might as well murder them. If you lust for somebody, if you covet for somebody else, you may not be having a physical affair with them, but you might as well be. Because before you can commit any kind of physical action, you have to first emotionally and internally and mentally make that decision and those feelings yourself. You know, if somebody hits me and I'm mad enough to hit them back, what has to happen? I have to be mad enough to hit them back, right? It's not, yes, you can have muscle memory and things like that, but you don't just do that because. You do that because, uh uh-oh, they hit me, I'm going to get them back. Or they made fun of me, I'm going to get back at them, right? The most dangerous thing in this world that comes from technology is not how much more fun sin is or how how lame obedience to Christ is, but it's the fact that the lines have been blurred so much that there's not immediate consequences. I had a heartbreaking conversation with some other youth pastors a couple of weeks ago with just the, some of the struggles they're seeing in their churches to where, you know, just a few years back, if you wanted to attempt to have an affair with somebody, there were clear steps you had to do. There were clear actions you had to do. Nowadays, you can send a message on Facebook. You can comment on Facebook. You can do things as simple as liking a picture or staring at a picture, having private conversations that, you know, you probably wouldn't have face-to-face in real life because it's, it's too controversial or it's too risky. But I can do it here, and as long as no one's looking at it, I'm good. Let's go back to arguing. There are things you will say to other believers that you probably wouldn't say face-to-face. But behind a computer screen, it's super easy to do, and guess what? If they're going to say anything back to you, you can just close it, and you don't have to read it because you already got in what you wanted to say. There's no longer these clear distinctive lines of disobedience, it's all become blurred to where it's like, well, as long as I don't do that one thing, I'm good, but I've got all this free room to do things that a couple of years ago I probably wouldn't do. But now I have the freedom to do it. But Scripture tells us that, hey, what you do in your heart, you might as well do physically. 
because it's the same thing. Scripture also tells us that what we do in the dark is, and we try and do in secret is going to be screamed from the rooftops versus what we bring to God is covered by his shadow. And it's not up to us anymore. His rules are there for a reason. It's not just, hey, just check off these steps and you're good, but it's to show us the character of God and his heart. That, okay, well, maybe, maybe this isn't as bad as I thought it was. You know, it's, it's not like, shout out to all my CCS students, but it's not like you're in private school and you have to follow this, 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 this. But it's, hey, like, are you being obedient to the Lord or are you not? Because it's pretty clear to tell. There's no gray area when it comes to God like that. Jump with me. We're going to go to verse 6 now. The greatest commandment, which... If we want to think of chapters 5, 6, and 7 as stepping stones, it's by no accident this follows up specific rules. Read with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statues and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So specifically verse 4, but also looking at the three verses that precede it, our next note we can see is that God deserves exclusive and total devotion. That whenever we see that term, fear of the Lord, it's not like, terrified, but is this holy and reverent set-apart respect. It's like, hey, this God that ransomed you, that brought you out of the pit, that literally freed you from slavery, hey, this is the same God that could destroy you in an instant if he wants to. And it's not that we live in a fear of that we're terrified to approach the throne of God, that we're terrified to know God intimately because of what he could do for us, but it's a freedom because we know what God can do for us. Do you see the difference in that? And that our God is a jealous God. He doesn't just want part of us, he wants all of us. We see this later on in the New Testament as Jesus addresses lukewarmness. And what did Jesus say? If you want to be lukewarm, then I'm going to spit you out of my mouth like lukewarm water. You can't be partially in and partially out. You can't be at church when it's convenient and it's easy. You can't choose to follow me when it's easy and convenient. You're either all in or you're all out. If we compare that with Hebrews chapter 6, a lot of people say, well, is Hebrews chapter 6 talking about losing your salvation? And it's No, what, what it's clearly saying is it talks about those who 
were part of the faith and they fall away from their faith, those who were able to taste of the heavenly gifts. And what it's really talking about is, hey, you can go to church. Hey, you can have encounters in church in powerful moments. But at the end of the day, if you have not given your life to Christ, you have to answer for that that there's a clear, distinct mark. There should be fruit from someone who is dead in their sin to someone who is made alive in Christ. That there are certain marks of a believer. When we talk about our testimony, our, our personal story of how we came to faith in Christ, one of the easiest ways we explain it is, what was your life like before Christ and what was your life like after And if there's no difference between the two, then it comes into question, well, was there ever a genuine transformation or was it simply behavior modification? Because there is a difference. Did you give Jesus your everything and allow him to begin to chip away at the callous and numb parts of our heart? Or did we simply treat it like we were trying to get fire insurance and just try and get the immediate guilt we had off of us? And I don't say that to to scare you or to make you feel uncomfortable, but I say it because we need to take it serious. Let's, Let's look at it this way. If I claim I'm a good person, but I have to tell you I'm a good person for you to believe that, does that make me a good person? Let's look at it this way. You hear me cuss. I'm like, oh, like, I never cuss, though. And it's like, well, I just heard you cuss. Yeah, but I, I never cuss. What does that say? If you get caught lying, you're like, well, I never lie. Like, I, I swear I never lie. It's like, but you just lied, right? In the same way, for people to know you're a believer, if you have to tell them you're a believer for them to know that, then your life is not bearing the fruit of a believer, One of the most uncomfortable moments for me in my life was in, or not elementary school, was in middle school, and this is about to get really dark for a second, so there's your warning. We, for my seventh grade year, we were on lockdown almost every day because of bomb threats, and there was a rumor going around that, hey, you know, the person that's bombing the school, they're going to kill everyone who's a Christian here. So everyone's like, oh, I'm a Christian, so, like, I'll probably die. And we're just sitting there talking, and I'm like, they're like, Landon, are you going to die? I was like, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. And they're like, really? I didn't know that. And it's like, good Lord Almighty may have just smacked me upside the head because I was like, man, how is it these people that I spend so much time with, that I spend eight hours a day with, don't know I'm a believer unless I have to physically tell them. He deserves exclusive and total devotion. Let's continue reading Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
church family, what would our lives look like if we truly trusted the Lord with all we have? I think the last couple of weeks we've heard Pastor Joey talk about how the Lord is doing something. There, there's a sweet sense going on in our church. And if that's even just a tiny, tiny glimpse of true devotion, what would our lives look like if we were truly committed to Christ? If God wasn't just the God of our salvation, but if God was the God of our finances, Because let's be real, like, life is expensive. And there are scams called health insurance, and they'll say, here's your deductible, and then you pay it. And they're like, just kidding, here's your real deductible. And sometimes you just get slapped with extra fines, or the cost of living goes up. What if God was the God of our families? That, yeah, I don't get along great with my parents. Okay, well, what if God was the God of that situation? Or I don't get along with my siblings, or we don't talk. Okay, what if God was the God of that situation? Or maybe friendships that are broken off, or maybe church members that we don't get along with that well. What if we gave God true devotion and true commitment in all areas of our life? That, yeah, this is my natural instinct, but... I know this is what God wants me to do. That my natural instinct is to keep these things to myself. But scripture calls us to live a confessional life and to live life in community. So that when we're hurting, we're walking with each other. That when we get to celebrate, that we're celebrating with each other. We've spent the last 60 odd days having a challenge to read the Bible, to spend more time in Scripture as a church this year than maybe we have ever before or years past. And by the way, it's not too late to start. It's not so much that, hey, we want to check off this goal, but it's the fact of, no, we're creating a habit of being in the Word What if we integrated scripture and just talking about God in general into our lives? Like this passage says, that when we're walking, when we're driving in the car, when we're sitting down eating a meal together, just conversations with our friends. For some of us, it's weird to bring up God. Well, why is bringing up the most important thing? Ideally, the thing that's most important to us, why is that weird to bring up? I've had conversations with parents that are terrified to talk about kingdom things with their children, to model the gospel with their children, to have those discussions. And and I can understand that because that's a weighty thing, but is this building, is this gathering, is this not the one place where it should be easiest to do? Imagine if... We had scripture ready in our hearts and in our minds to encourage and equip others as readily available as if we had it on our hand or on our forehead. Because the book of John tells us that he, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will bring back to memory all that has been said and taught. So those moments when you know you're supposed to talk to somebody, but you don't know what you're going to say. Maybe you have the opportunity to share the gospel and you don't know what you're going to say. Great news, the Holy Spirit's going to take care of you. 
but if there's nothing for, with or if there's nothing for the Holy Spirit to work with, then that's an issue. What would our lives look like if we truly love the Lord with all that we have? Read with me again. We're going to read just a few more verses in chapter 6. This is verse 12. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after the other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. Verse 15, for the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and destroy you from all of the face of the earth. I had a friend one time, jokingly, was like, man, like, I'm just the God of the Old Testament, like, like action hero God, like Arnold Schwarzenegger God. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. But I'm terrified of that God. I don't want to be on that God's bad side, the one who wipes out entire armies for disobedience and sin. Like, it's... You heard me earlier. It's hard enough for me to remember just to put the plate in the right spot. Like, I don't, I don't need to be an enemy of God and have his wrath poured out against me. And it may look different now than it did in Old Testament times. But the truth is still the same. Either we are a part of God's family or we are separated from it. There is no in-between. There's no partially in, partially out. And the reason it's important to remember this, the reason it's so crucial for us to spend time in Scripture and in prayer, the reason it's so important for us to give God total and exclusive devotion is because just like Israel, they forgot, right? God brings them out of Egypt. They get to the sea, and they're like, well, we made a huge mistake. We need to go back and surrender to Egypt because we're about to die. Just right there, they forgot. And just like that, your next line of notes is the truth that because sometimes we forget. That's why we need to be reminded because sometimes we forget. Life is really busy. Uh, Just full vulnerability the last couple of weeks with, you know, the crater in the ceiling has been a huge mess at the church. It's taken a lot of hours and a lot of work from your staff to, and volunteers to get everything put back to how it should be so that we could meet here today. But how heartbreaking of it is if we reach the end of the day and we realize we haven't been in the Word once, we haven't set time aside to pray once, and we don't realize it until the end of the day. And this is going to lead us into chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. In chapter 7, it can be hard to read this chapter and not be confused. Let me be clear. It's not endorsing genocide, okay? Like, don't take this and be like, sweet, we're going on a crusade. I'm going to put on my little cross t-shirt and go break all the Ten Commandments. But what chapter 7 is saying is, hey, this is a warning of the seriousness of sin and the judgment that comes with unforgiven sin. 
And we see examples like this in the Old Testament of God's wrath against sin displayed in complete and total destruction. If we are unrepenting of our sin, what does repent mean? To turn away from. That means, hey, this that I'm struggling with, if I can, I'm going to turn away completely right now. If I can't, then I'm going to take the steps and get the help that's going to lead me to not make those mistakes again. If we are unrepenting of our sin, we may not face judgment in terms like the Old Testament here on earth, but we will spend eternity cut off from God with no more opportunities to rectify that. So let's read this. Deuteronomy chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Verse 8. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out of a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statues and the rules that I command you today. The more we know God, the easier it is to trust him. If we find ourselves in a place that we only go to God in moments of absolute desperation, then we probably don't trust him enough with the day-to-day. And I get it. Let me put it this way. I don't expect any of you who don't know me that well to come share your deepest, darkest secrets. Why? Because you don't know me that well. There's a reason there's things that I tell my wife that I don't tell other people. Why? Because I know her and I know that I can trust her. She can't trust me to put the dishes in the right spot, but I can trust her. We touched on it a little bit already. We do not take sin anywhere near as serious as we should. We tolerate it way too much. Now, let me be very clear and distinct. There is a difference between judgment and correction. It is our job to correct, to help those by modeling, by encouraging and equipping with Scripture, by walking along each other. It's not our job to play God, okay? Because we're really bad at it. But it is our job to not judge those that are still dead in sin. Because how can we expect somebody who is still, as Scripture says, dead in their trespasses to understand all the things that we believe until the Holy Spirit has prompted them and opened their eyes and changed their heart. But it is our job to love them the way Jesus did. If we look at the people Jesus went to, outcasts, broken and messy people, people who weren't 100%. So it's our jobs as 
image bearers of Christ, as ministers of reconciliation, which we're all called to, to go and to point others to Jesus, to encourage them, to love them the way that Jesus loves us. Because Jesus didn't say, okay, hey, when you get your act together, we can talk. No. Romans tells us that yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It also tells us a verse earlier that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice it didn't say God died strictly for the godly. It doesn't say, while we were perfectly together and all of our lives were great, Christ died for us. But no, he saw us at our worst and loved us. So we need to know that God takes sin serious. And what is sin? It's disobedience. That's all it is. Going back to, do we know the things of God and what he stands for? And what's it against? Because the more we see God's heart, the more we know his character, the easier it is to judge between what is sin and what's not sin. Does this match up with God and his heart and his desire for our lives? Or does this go against it? Turn with me, if you will. This will be the last scripture we look at this morning. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 8 and 9. Because we're going to see how serious Jesus takes sin. Matthew 18, verses 8 and 9. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Because it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into the hell of fire. Oh, that's super harsh. Like, if you're telling me it's better for me to, like, stand up here, I'm not going to pluck my eyeball out because, as you can tell, I have vision problems already. But if you're telling me it's better for me to tear out my eye or to, like, Jeremy, will you come cut my hand off, please? Uh, If you're telling me it's better to do something that drastic than to risk sinning, then what does that say about the seriousness of sin? And hear me out, we are sinful people. It is only by Christ that we are made whole, we're made complete, but our human nature is still to sin. And so that's why the journey of the rest of our lives here on earth is a war against sin. By spending more time with Christ, we grow in our love for Christ, and we grow in our likeness of Christ, not because of what we do, but because of what he does in our lives and what his truth does. We cannot let sin remain. Now, we're not perfect. We can't get rid of sin forever. But there's a very big difference between just giving into sin and actively fighting against it. I once heard a pastor say, that before you put your trust in Christ, you are a slave to sin. Sin is your master. You don't have a say in that. And then the moment that you are set free because of Christ and what Jesus did on the cross for us, that you are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer underneath the leadership of sin in your life. But every time we fall into sin after our moment of salvation whether it's because of addiction or it's habitual or it's just blatantly choosing it because that's what we want more in the moment, 
each time we fall and stumble into sin, we are putting it back in that pedestal. We're putting it back as leader of our life in those temporary moments. Let me be very clear. You cannot lose your salvation. You can't. If you lose your salvation, then that does everything we know about our faith. But what you can do is actively invite death and poison and darkness back into your life. We have to take sin serious. And if we look at chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7, we see the warnings against sin and we see this protection set up, these stepping stones to point us in the right direction. So let me give you three takeaways this morning. Number one, God has set boundaries to protect us. Not to restrict us, not to make us bored, but to protect us because we know we're going to mess up. He set boundaries to protect us. And number two, spending time in Scripture and prayer increases our love for God. The more you know Him, the more you trust Him. You know, depending on your, <laughs> your opinion on dating, and courting and things like that. Like, it'd be really weird if my wife and I, if we met once and then got married immediately. Like, there's a lot of ground that should probably be covered before we get married, right? Because it's like, hey, let's get coffee. This is awesome. Let's go to the courthouse. We got married. Oh, by the way, I'm wanted in seven other states. Like, probably not the best decision just to jump into it, right? And so... We at South Lakes, we talk about the 5% life. And what that looks like is, what if you spend 5% of your day, which is roughly about 15 minutes, if you set that time aside for just God? Whether that's talking to him through prayer or learning about him through scripture. Starting small and practical to build that habit. Because if you're like, okay, I'm going to read the entire Bible in the next two weeks. I hate to tell you, you're going to be burnt out and you're probably not going to want to read the Bible again. It's kind of like if you go to the gym and it's like, okay, like I'm going to try and bench press 400 pounds. I've never been to the gym a day in my life, but I'm going to put my mind to it. It's like, it's probably going to end up really bad for you, right? But I promise, promise, promise you that spending time in scripture and prayer will increase your love for God. It will change you. Because we can't not meet with him and not be changed. And then lastly, lesser things will always, always, always leave us empty. So here in just a second, we're going to have the band come up. But we, we started something two weeks ago, and it's an intentional prayer challenge. And Joey's going to talk about it later at the end. But we have every day at 12 a prayer notification goes out for a specific direction of prayer for that day. But on Sundays, we're going to have specific prayer challenges as well. So last week, we prayed, God, would you move in my heart, and would you move in the hearts of others? Today, we're going to get a little bit uncomfortable, okay? I'm an introvert, so if you're also an introvert, I apologize for what's going to happen. But we are going to stretch ourselves just a little bit by praying for each other. 
So we have a couple of prayer prompts we're going to go through this morning. I'm going to lead you through each one. But our first one, Daniel, if you'll put these up, our first one is praying with someone on your row. And if you're the only person on your row, if you're comfortable with moving to somebody closer, awesome. And here's what I want to say. This is a time for you to be obedient to the Lord. I get it. Some of you praying out loud, praying in front of someone else is the most terrifying thing on earth. That's okay. Guess what? God is not limited by verbal prayer, so you can pray quietly to yourself and not make a single sound, and that's okay. Just be honest when you pray. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about South Lakes Church, go to slchurch.life. Thank you.